0: don't know how I can repay you, but I'll figure out something. (laughs) And by the way, no, I'm not a soccer official. I've been accused of that this morning. (laughs) Father God, we love you so much. And I just pray, dear God, that all evangelical Christians would love you enough to follow you. Father God, I just pray that the power of your conviction would fall down upon all evangelical Christians in this country. Father God, we could make such a difference. This country is in trouble, and there's one way we can cure it, dear God, by casting our votes at the polls. Father God, you know, and please, please convey it to all your believers, dear God, that any person who supports abortion any, any politician who, who favors abortion, who has no problem with it, they are enemies of your people, dear God. And they are murderers of children. So, Father God, I just pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would pour out upon all the evangelicals in this country. Because we know that 6.4% is a pretty, pretty dismal figure. And Father God, with your help, we know that we will prevail at the voting booth and we can return this country to one nation under God. In the precious name of Jesus Christ and for his sake we pray, amen.
1: Amen. Let's all stand, shall we? And, Father, that your word would be exalted in our midst and in our lives. And that, as, as the Chief Justice Jay said, that we would live our lives by its precepts. First and foremost, God, that we would live our lives by your precepts. Lord, that, that a nation changes when individuals change. And the change that needs to happen is a change of heart and a change of mind jesus you said that we must be born again that brings change individually which can ultimately corporately bring change Lord, we pray for our leaders those that you have allowed to be an authority over us we thank you for them and we ask oh god that you would surround them with godly uh advisors that you would give them godly wisdom these are these are these are these are tenuous times they're 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 uh oof, they're dangerous times we ask you, O oh God, to give our leaders wisdom from above and knowledge from above, that you would prick their hearts, O oh God, uh, to follow your word, not to follow what's popular, but to follow your word. And Lord, we just pray that uh, today, as we get into your word, that um, that we would receive something from you, and that you prepare our hearts to uh, uh, to enter into the next phase into into revelation. And that uh, though there are some frightful things that will happen, that Lord, we would look with expectation to these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. "Amen." Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. All right. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were um, uh, reading in the in the uh, uh, in the Book of Revelation about the seven churches. Remember those seven churches: Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And there were specific messages that were given to each of those churches, and we talked about how each of those churches had, uh, uh, though it was a specific word for them, there were applications for us as well. Uh, we are transitioning now into the next phase of the book of Revelation. So uh, we are in the phase of the wrath of the Lamb. Remember the Lamb that was approached the throne and, uh, of God, and it, uh, it appeared as if it had been slain? Well, um, Shifting gears into the next section of this book, Uh, John, the apostle, has seen the father. He has seen the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and he hears the proclamation who is worthy to open the seals of 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 this book. And and whether this book is title deed to the planet Earth or whether it is the uh, the prophetic message that God has or the or the, the sequence of events that will take place in the end times, there were none that were worthy to open that scroll. And John wept until the Lamb of God comes forth. Who was able to open the scroll and the resounding song of heaven is worthy as the lamb who was slain, worthy, worthy in all of the universe and all of creation and all that there is. He's the only one. Um, and so for two breathtaking and inspiring chapters, we've been in heaven and the scroll has changed hands and the right to rule and to judge has been given to Jesus Now we have to come down, as one writer put it this way, he says, now we must come down from the mount and out of the ivory palaces. Down here on the rebel planet Earth, the tempo is increasing, passions are rising, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, disobedience to parents has grown into a brawling maturity, defying authority. Men have become inventors of evil and their fearful inventions have become Frankenstein monsters uh, threatening to destroy the globe. The The time has come. For God to intervene in human affairs, so judgment is given to the Son, written by John Phillips in his book, Exploring Revelation. In Daniel chapter 9, if you were here with us during our, our study through the book of Daniel, you saw that there were seven years, and that's a literal seven-year timeline, that were appointed uh, for the nation of Israel for the end times. These are This is God's appointed timeline. And we talked about how that... The, there would be a at the beginning of this, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel will be, be signing a, a peace agreement uh, with the coming world dictator. Uh, we identified him as the Antichrist and that that seven year period would begin with that and it would end with Christ's return to judge the earth and to institute his millennial reign, the thousand year reign of Christ. Uh, that's where we pick up in chapter six. And we'll take it all the way through verse 19. Now, here's the thing about Revelation. Revelation is not meant to be some mystical, prophetic. It's hard to understand all of this stuff. For sure, there are things that we don't completely understand. But it's not meant to be something that we should just gloss over or not spend our time studying uh, for a number of reasons. Because one is it's prophetic, and that is that it's speaking about things that are going to come, things that have not yet happened. uh, And it's also meant to give us... A sense of assurance that God is in control so that Jesus said, when you see these things coming, don't act, you know, I've told you in advance so that, you know, so that you can be prepared. So the first three and a half years of this tribulation timeline will be chapters 16, uh, chapter six through 19, six through nine. Uh, then the agreement is broken in the middle of this seven-year period. That's Revelation 10 through 14. And then the last three and a half years is played out in chapters 15 through 19. And so, you know, if I were a ring announcer, I would probably put it to you this way. Here we go. Now, the beginning of this kind of sounds like, you know, how many of you guys like Westerns? You know, the old Westerns, you know, or... You know the bad guys ride in on the horses. They're always real slow. They got this real ugly look. haven't Haven't bathed in year, about a year or so. You know, cigar hanging from them. Clint Eastwood, you know, right? And then everybody's, oh, and the sheriff comes out. You know, and you just see him from behind with his spurs. You know, it's the sheriff because he just kind of comes out with that walk. You know, swagger. He's got that sheriff swagger. Yeah. Um. It sort of sounds like a like a like a like a like a Western movie, but 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 it's not that we're going to read about four riders uh, who ride their horses into town. If you would, they are not friendlies. Repeat, they are not friendlies. Uh, We are entering into some scary stuff, but there is a purpose behind it. You know, when you read things like this, you have to remind yourself that God has a purpose for all things. I heard a story about a cowboy who was applying for insurance. He walked into an insurance agent's office and went through all the routine questioning. And the agent said, have you ever had any accidents in your life? And he said, nope, haven't had any accidents. And he said, although a steer kicked me in the ribs once and broke two of them, and a rattlesnake once bit me on the ankle. And the agent looked at him kind of with a questioning look and said, And uh, you wouldn't consider those accidents? He said, nope, they did it on purpose. (laughs) So you might think that going through the book of Revelation that um, it's sort of haphazard, sort of random accidents that take place. No, there's a purpose behind it all. And it all culminates to a point. And so the lamb and the seven seal... Judgments. Four horsemen, a fifth seal, which will be the cry of the martyred, a sixth seal, an earthquake, cosmic disturbances, and the earth's greater prayer meeting. Then there'll be an interlude. There'll be a conversion and the call of 144,000 Jews who will evangelize those who are left on the earth. We'll get to that, and the conversion of a great multitude. Then there's the seventh seal judgment. And that breaks out into the trumpet judgments. Trumpets 1 through 6. There's an interlude, a timeout, sort of as the earth gasps for air, and then the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet judgment then ushers in seven more final judgments called bowl judgments, or the wrath is poured out upon the earth. And when the last bowl is poured out, judgment is finished. God has completed the task of judging the earth. It's called the tribulation period. That's what we're entering into. It's called the wrath of the Lamb, the day of the Lord. It's the 70th week of Daniel. Um, Jeremiah predicted it in chapter 30, verse 7. If you're taking notes, uh, and he said, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's another name. Daniel chapter 12 says, There should be a time of trouble such as never has since. Uh, uh, there was a nation even to that time, Jesus said in Matthew, chapter 24, speaking of this timeline, he said, and then there will be great tribulations such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor uh, ever shall be. Jesus said this tribulation time is going to be the worst in the history of the world. There have been some pretty dark days this earth has had World War One, World War Two, uh, Holocausts, uh, people trying to exterminate people uh, it, it's uh, the Civil War here in America I mean it's there, there, there have been some pretty dark days uh, some days where people may have even thought this is the end of the world this is the tribulation period this is when the time when the Antichrist will be revealed and that has not happened yet Jesus says the tribulation timeline will be worse than anything that anyone has ever seen or ever experienced and so Chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. Let's read it. It says, And then, and, and I saw then the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he Broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come! And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth and that men should slay one another with a great sword. And a great sword, sword was given to him. Verse 5. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, as it were, the voice of the center of, of the living creature saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And I looked and behold, an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him. And authority was, what does your Bible say, given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, if you'd like to turn there, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 says this. After the 62 weeks, Messiah, that is Jesus, shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So the first writer, if we can go back, Daniel answers the question to who this writer is. Verse one and I, I saw when the lamb broke one of the seals and he's the only one worthy to break that seal And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, if you haven't been with us, the four living creatures are there in the very throne room of of God. These incredibly powerful angelic beings. And they are the ones calling forth these 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 beasts or these these uh, these judgments upon the earth. And I looked and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow, which is symbolic of war. Right. He has a a uh, a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, we don't know if he has arrows or not, but that would seem to be the indication that maybe he's coming with a bow that's raised. But maybe that's supposed to be a symbol of peace. Um, but he comes to conquer. And so he has a bow, but then he comes uh, to conquer. Okay. Uh, pretty much every. I mean, this is the Antichrist. Uh, And he will begin his work in the world as a peacemaker. There are those who believe that, hey, this is Jesus. Because in Revelation 19, Jesus comes on a white horse. Um, This is guys on a red horse. (laughs) And if you want to turn to Revelation 19, look at verse 11. Look at what it says. It says, Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except himself knows. um, uh, uh, That no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth comes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so this rider has a bow. Jesus has a sword. And that sword is not a literal sword, but it comes out of his mouth. It's the word of God. It's the word of the Lord that by which he will slay the nations. This one has a crown. Jesus has many crowns. And it's interesting that the Greek word for this one in the the Antichrist is Stephanos, which means a victor's crown. But the many crowns that Jesus has are diadema, which means a kingly crown. And so this one comes seemingly in peace. And he comes victorious, uh, but it's a victor's crown. It's not the king's crown. He's not wearing that. That's that's the one that Jesus wears. But, you know, it's not surprising that the Antichrist will counterfeit Jesus. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we'll see counterfeit after counterfeit after counterfeit. And if there's a counterfeit, there must be a real reality. Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. Jesus said, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Yeah. Boy, haven't you? Don't, don't you just hear that? You know, this, you know, this person's the Messiah. This person's going to lead us to the promised land. I mean, really, you just kind of hear that all the time. And, you know, we've been talking about this, how ripe the world is for a charismatic, charismatic. Dynamic leader who can solve the problems of mankind that we've been trying to solve for thousands of years. Look at all the men who claimed to be religious leaders and who claim to have all the answers and who claim to be the one sent from God to make everything right. And things are not right. <laughs> I mean, how ripe is the world for that? And this man will be literally Satan incarnate. And I think it's safe to use that kind of, uh, of terminology. I mean, who else could unite world religions? Or who else could bring peace to the biggest feud ever between Israel and Arabs? I mean, who else could broker the deal so that Jewish folk can begin to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount? And if you want to start World War III, try building that temple on the Temple Mount. And every Arab Muslim in particular nation will turn their guns toward that and annihilate and and try to annihilate Israel. You can't do that because they consider it a holy place as well. I mean, who else is going to fix the world's economy? Who else can bring all of the cultures and all the people of the world together? Think of the level of deception that this man will have because he comes with a bow And yet he comes to conquer. There was an article from Christian Century citing that Jews were saying recent world events such as the fall and this is a little bit dated such as the fall of the Iron Curtain, the influx of Ethiopian and Soviet Jews into Israel and the Gulf War is evident that Messiah's arrival cannot be far off. How long ago was that? Yeah, people are looking for a Messiah. The Wall Street Journal was interviewing Moshe Slos in Jerusalem, Rabbi, and he said, "What's going on now is like labor pains. It looks pretty messy, but in the end, what will come out is a new and a living light. The Messiah may be just a blink away." Interesting phraseology, yeah. Labor pains. Paul, the Apostle said, when they say peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. And so this first writer that is unleashed, that begins the tribulation period, is the Antichrist. He comes with a bow and yet he speaks of peace. But the whole time his agenda is to conquer. He is sent out to conquer. Okay, that's the first writer. That's the first seal that's broken out that kicks off the tribulation period. OK, what's next? Second seal or the red rider. Verse three says, and when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and another. A red horse went out and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take away from the earth. Take peace away. Uh, take peace from the earth. I keep reading that in there. It's not there. And then my translate to take peace from the earth and that men should slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. Ah, you remember this famous phrase, peace in our time, peace with honor. You remember it. The words of British prime minister, Sir Neville Chamberlain, when he had returned from meetings and conferences in Germany in September of 1938. And he had the assurance that Adolf Hitler was stopped. And he was, that it was not his intention to take over all of Europe and ultimately the world. One year later, Hitler invaded Poland. And on September the 3rd, 1939, Great Britain declared war on Germany. And Chamberlain's great peace mission had failed. And you know what? That's true of almost every peace mission. It doesn't bring real peace, and for the most part, it's short lived. In all of recorded history, in only 8% of our world history, has there been peace. The rest of the time, there's been war. There's been more war than there's been peace as long as man has lived on the earth. In 3,100 years, there have been 8,000 peace treaties or formal agreements that have been broken. (laughs) It's the truth. Richard Starr, international studies director at the Hoover Institute of War, Revolution and Peace, said this. There are more wars with more people killed all over the world than 10 years ago. And this is dated, too. This is a while ago. True, it's been several years since the world major powers last bombed and shelled each other. But on any day, soldiers are firing in 30 to 40 nations or more. Wars of liberation, territorial disputes, religious principles. The Center for uh, Defense Information estimates that the number killed since early 1970s is at anywhere from a a conservative 4.5 million to the more realistic 7.1 million Body counts vary, but most participants agree peace is unlikely, and that's old. This is at least 15 years old, maybe even more. Okay, According to the World Bank, more than 1.5 billion people live in countries affected by violence. That's 22% of the world's population. We don't get it because even though we're involved in confrontations, they're, they're, they're in Afghanistan or, or they're in in some other land, and, and, but they're not here. 22%. And so here's the thing about war. Poverty rates are 20% higher for nations that are affected by repeated cycles of violence. And every year of organized violence slows down poverty reduction by nearly one percentage point. So here's the estimate that I read by the World Bank. They said, by 2030, how, how far away is that? Quick mathematician. Six. How many? 16, I heard 15, 16 years, okay? In 16 years, this is just an estimate. 40% of the world's poor will live in fragile and conflict-affected situations. They call that FCS. Fragile and conflict-affected situations account for a third of all the deaths due to HIV and AIDS in poor countries, a third of the people who lack access to clean water, a third of children who do not complete primary school, and half of all deaths. And so the Antichrist reign starts off in peace, but very quickly it turns to war as the next rider is, is unleashed. Such is the case every time you make a deal with the devil. An empty bow turns into a sword. And as we'll see, the color red often signifies terror and death in Revelation. Revelation 12, it's a red dragon. Revelation 17 it's the red beast. Third horseman. Third seal was broken verse 5 and when he broke the third seal I heard the third living creature saying come and I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand and as I, and I heard as it were the voice of the center of the living creature saying a quart of wheat For denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. The third horseman uh, that symbolizes famine, because guess what? After you have war, you typically have famine and pestilence, too. Jesus said there would be wars and there will be rumors of wars. That nations will rise against nations and there will be famine. A quart of wheat for denarius, a denarius. And this time was a day's wages. And at that time, at this time, all the relief efforts in the world will fail. And it will take a working man a day's wages to buy a little over a loaf of bread. You'll work all day for a loaf of bread. And that just for himself. However, the nicer things, the oil and the wine... Don't seem to be affected. They're available for those who can afford them. There still will be oil and wine. that should not be harmed. And the fourth horseman, the fourth horseman, the fourth seal says, And when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked and behold, an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him and authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. Let me just read that verse eight again. And I looked and behold, an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him. And authority was given over them uh, uh, to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so, so John sees death and Hades. You could call that the realm of the dead. And we read in chapter 1, verse 8 of Revelation that Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. He has the, the authority over that. Revelation uh, 20 tells us that one day they will both be cast into hell. Now, it's estimated during World War II uh, that one in every 40 people lost their lives. World War II, worldwide, one in every 40 people lost their lives. But in this judgment, it will claim one in four worldwide. And that's after the first three seals. That's after the Antichrist wages war. That's after famine and an economy turned upside down. And so today's population is about 7 billion people today. So this judgment alone will wipe out 1.75 billion people. Almost 2 billion people. Yeah, you know, there are those who say that these seals represent times that have already happened. I'm not quite sure how they get that. I'm not quite sure in the flow, in the context of everything that happens in Revelation, how they would say these things are past tense. I mean, I I just don't understand that. I don't know how you can... Take that out and say this represents Russia or this represents Nazi Germany or this. I don't even know how they how they do that. But I've heard that. I don't don't know. I mean, the worst of it, World War Two, one in 40 people died. And and this is one fourth. Almost two billion people will die. Are you glad you came this morning? So Power Is given To the horsemen And that power is given by God Ultimately Though all hell Is breaking loose on earth God is very much in control And Jesus Still holds the scrolls With the open seals did you get that it is unprecedented chaos it is literally hell on earth and yet everything is in control in heaven does that help you to read this does that help you in your own life when things are hellish When things are absolutely chaotic, does does it help at all to know that everything is in control in heaven? So you better get a bomb shelter and you better hunker down. That's my second closing point right there. Better get a bomb shelter and you better hunker down. Better get ready. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I don't know that we need to get a bomb shelter and hunker down. I I, I don't know that we need to do that. Um, But do this. Let the knowledge of what's coming fuel you to tell others about Jesus. Let the knowledge of what's coming fuel. Fuel you to tell others about Jesus. Now, not everybody is an evangelist. Not everybody feels they can just approach a complete stranger and tell them about Jesus. That's fine. But when the Holy Spirit prompts you to share somehow, maybe it's your testimony. Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's uh, handing someone a gospel track. Maybe it's that person that you work next to that says, hey, you go to church, don't you? And it's an open door. Do you look for those opportunities? I mean, it's 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 day, it's light. It's 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 this. It's, this is the season of the harvest. Do you pray about opportunities to be a light? I think if we prayed more, that we'd have more opportunities, and we wouldn't have to go evangelizing. I think our life would be the life of an evangelist. I think in the in the normal routine of life we would just be a people who bring up jesus are you a person who just brings up jesus are you a person when the door opens you kind of you're ready to to walk through it
0: do you get it right
1: every time i don't i don't man i don't it's it is is a we know what's coming and and like do you think my neighbors would have reason to be really mad at me if I never shared my faith and somehow shared that this might be coming somehow. You think they might look at me and go, dude, you are a pastor. You never even told us. But I don't think it's just a pastor. I think it's anyone. I don't think it's just an evangelist or someone who's gifted in those areas. I think we're all, while it's the day, we should be busy Praying for people that are right in our realm of influence. They're right next to us. We should be busy about that. Looking for opportunities. Praying for opportunities. Let the knowledge of what's coming fuel you to tell others. Two, year, uh, uh, two years after the wildfire fires of 2002, uh, the San Diego Regional Authorities installed uh, what they call reverse 911 is an early warning system that was first used to warn residents of the approaching fires of 2007 when they came. And some, home, some home, homeowners um, uh, did not receive a call or had phone systems that screened out the warning call as an unrecognized number. Others received the call but chose to ignore it. Some of those who did, uh, who did not hear the warning, did not vacate their homes, and as a result, they lost their lives. The truth is, is that God is sounding the warning and he's sounding it loud and clear through the prophets of the Old Testament, to the writings of the New Testament, in particular, Revelation and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, remember this, John wrote Revelation to encourage people in every age of history. Remember how it begins the letters to the churches and then the glimpse of heaven. And the glimpse of heaven is there strategically because I believe it's the heart of the father that you would understand that there's a place where everything's under control and that he is seated on the throne and that he's got it all together and that before hell unleashes on earth that we have to have a good picture of heaven. We have to have a heavenly mindset for the hellish things that happen on this earth, right? So John was written, John wrote Revelation to encourage God's people in every age of history. It's prophetic, but it's also theological, and it reveals the character of a loving God, and it reveals the principles of his kingdom, because you see, people want a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness, but they don't want a God of judgment. And if a God in heaven is a God who will judge me, well, I don't want to believe in that kind of God. One cannot help but see the exalted king of kings and Lord of lords as he vindicates his people. And gives them victory. Um, How are you doing? Okay, you ready? So, so I leave you with this question. And if our ushers would come forward, we'll take our tithe and our offering as well. I leave you with this question. Next week is Family Sunday. We'll be hearing some cool testimonies of some people about what the Lord did at youth camp. But more than that, please don't think it's family Sunday. I'm not going. Your family, show up. I'm not coming to that. Yeah, you need to come. Where will the church be when all of this happens? Where will you and I be when all of this happens? we go through it too or there's this term that we use called the rapture when does that happen hmm. we'll talk about that in two weeks um kind of left that out there for you so you come back um, and if you're not right with god If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, he comes to you now as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You might want to consider having a relationship with him. See, I don't think there's anything wrong with coming to Jesus because you get scared into the kingdom as long as you have a relationship with him and you recognize that the reason that those things are there are to bring you to him. Because some people need that. They need to know there's a place called hell. They need to know that there's there'll be guilty before an almighty God. They need to know that there may be a time when the church is taken away and they'll be left behind to face all of this. If, in fact, the rapture happens before the tribulation period, then the church, the bride of Christ, will be taken away and you'll be left here. Now, when does that happen? We don't know. It could happen right now. Are you ready? The warning has been sounded. Now, are you ready? I think you need to ponder that. Just me. Just me. And Jesus didn't come and live and die and raise from the dead simply so we could have fire insurance. Simply so we wouldn't go to hell. That's more than that. It's because of his love. Not because of his wrath. That he came. That whosoever believed with him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen. Jesus is more than a religious figure. He's more than a man who represented truth and walked in truth. He's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He is light years higher than any religious leader or religious organization that ever existed or lived. He's so far beyond that. Will you turn from that and trust in your own ability to get through when that time comes? I pray that you don't. I pray that you don't. And after our time of taking our offering here, If you would like to pray to receive Jesus, uh, our leadership team will be down here. They'll be praying with you. If you'd like to know more about what it is to have a personal relationship or if there's just something on your heart you'd like to pray about with somebody else, they'll be here. He'll be, be here for you. And I will mention that after we take our offering. Thank you for putting that up. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, These are strong words, God, Uh, and we receive them. We love to hear about your love and your grace and joy and your patience and your persistent love for us and those attributes that we love to hear all that stuff, that you love us no matter what and you care for us. And yet, Lord, when we get into Revelation, it gets ugly real fast and we just stepped out of heaven and our We're running footlong into this judgment that we read about. And yet, Lord, we can escape all of that. But, Lord, um, we take this opportunity uh, now to give of our tithes and our offerings. Uh, Lord, we can't buy our way into the kingdom. We can't lie our way into the kingdom. We can't uh, sneak in the back door. But, Lord, we just, out of the overflow of our heart, want to give to you. We love you, God. And we thank you that you've redeemed all of us. You saved all of us, even our checkbook. And the Lord we give to you now that for the work of your kingdom that you would take these finances and use them to further your kingdom thank you God for the offerings thank you for um, all that you give us thank you uh, for uh, first loving us now we respond in worship by giving to you in Jesus name amen if you'll go ahead and